0: It's spooky season, and I'm here to tell you a spooky story. A viral disease in the UK has turned pigeons into zombie like creatures, causing them to develop twisted necks and walk around in circles. The disease appears to be pigeon paramyxovirus. This is Pulse Check. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Here are a couple headlines I'm watching. On Wednesday, the Food and Drug Administration indefinitely postponed a highly anticipated meeting on whether to allow birth control pills to be sold over the counter. A new date for the meeting hasn't been set. This is important because a lot of women's health experts see no-prescription contraception as a key way to prevent unintended pregnancies at a time more states are restricting abortion. For the first time in U.S. history, the Department of Homeland Security is offering flu shots to migrants in federal custody along the southern border. Tens of thousands of children and adults have already gotten a shot, which government officials say will protect both them and the communities where they may be released. This matters because multiple migrant children died of flu-related infections under the Trump administration after they refused to make the policy change. And according to the American Hospital Association, a record 19 rural hospitals closed in 2020. To stop the problem from getting worse, Congress offered a fix to struggling rural hospitals, but that's had mixed reception. My colleague Daniel Payne is here to talk about the big policy change set to take effect this coming January on how rural hospitals get paid. So Daniel, what is that change and what problem is it trying to address?
1: It's going to allow hospitals to get rid of their inpatient units and just have essentially a freestanding emergency room. It's a way to save money and it's a way to keep more rural hospitals open, particularly as, you know, we've seen a lot of closures in recent years. The COVID funding has stopped that to some extent, but a lot of people are worried that these are going to keep closing and the closures are going to increase over time. So this is sort of a way to stop closures from happening if hospitals can stay open as just a freestanding emergency room.
0: So the idea is better to have just an emergency room than nothing?
1: Exactly. Better an emergency room than a full-out closure.
0: But it sounds like a lot of hospitals aren't sure that they want to even take this, this offer, this go in this direction. You found a report showing that very few hospitals are ready to go forward with this and adopt the new designation. Why is that?
1: Most hospitals that I talk to that are rural hospitals actually are not interested in this right now. They're concerned that getting rid of more services for their patients isn't the best move in the long term, that uh, they're going to lose the trust of their communities because fewer services will be able to be completed locally. They're concerned that some of the inpatient services that actually are making the money are going to get cut out. And just generally, they're not so sure about a completely new way of getting paid. This is the first new payment system in a while of this type and a lot of hospitals just aren't ready to jump on yet. And a lot of our hospitals that I talked to thought that this would be a bigger fix. They thought that there'd be more money involved, that uh, maybe the boosts would be bigger, or that it wouldn't be as restrictive. But that hasn't been the case. They saw a proposed rule in the final legislation from Congress. And a lot of them are disappointed, really, in the final result. If you look to Tennessee, there are a few hospitals that were really considering this. And some even included it in their sales agreement when they bought a hospital that this was a program that they were hopeful to use. And particularly in West Tennessee, where a lot of rural hospitals have been closing in recent years, this is important for communities there. During the pandemic, they didn't have enough hospital beds. They were having a hard time transferring people to the right places to get any amount of care. And now these hospitals that have been closing are realizing that this new model maybe isn't for them anyway that the solution that they thought would be there isn't going to be there, or it's not going to be there without some dramatic changes. Even for hospitals that are going to take on this program, they won't be able to have inpatient beds, which were key during the pandemic. So even for hospitals that are going to take on this new program, it might not be a fix that communities are excited about or enthusiastic about
0: members of Congress have been debating this for years and years. Like you said, rural hospitals all across the country have been going out of business, leaving healthcare deserts behind. This has been a long time coming. So how are those members of Congress reacting now to the uh, not enthusiastic reception to their, their big fix?
1: A lot of members are saying this was never meant to be a big fix. This was meant to save emergency rooms that were going to close anyway, that If there was a hospital that was gonna close and nothing was gonna be there, that this is a way to keep some services in that area, to keep an emergency room at least that could maybe save someone's life. If you ask rural hospitals or hospital associations, they'll say that this was really oversold and the final product is really disappointing. If you ask people on Capitol Hill and even some researchers, they will tell you that this program is gonna work exactly as intended. It's gonna keep hospitals on the very brink of closure from closing completely, to allow them to have some services open.
0: And so looking ahead to next year, what will you be watching when this goes into effect?
1: Certainly be watching even next week when we get the final rule. A lot of hospitals are going to watch to see exactly what the final details are about this program and what it will entail and whether it'll be right for them. Next year, I'll certainly be watching how many hospitals initially consider taking it up. But some people told me this is a longer term thing to watch than just next year. They said that over time, the program maybe will get adjusted, or maybe hospitals will get more comfortable and figure out a way to do it, or maybe the old systems will get worse and hospitals will be forced to jump onto a new model. So this is important next week, it's important next year, but it may be important years down the road as well.
0: Well, we're glad you are staying on top of it. Please keep us updated and thanks so much for talking today.
1: Thanks so much, Alice.
0: On Wednesday, the CDC released updated monkeypox data in a Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. Katherine Ellen Foley is here to give us the data breakdown in PulseCheck's 60-second challenge.
2: All right, start the timer. So the CDC was looking at the rates of severe monkeypox cases among people with compromised immune systems. They looked at a case of 57 people who were hospitalized for a really severe monkeypox infection. Out of those 57 adults, 47 of them were living with HIV and only four of those adults were receiving antiviral therapy for their HIV. What the CDC concluded was that all healthcare providers should screen probable monkeypox cases among people who are sexually active for HIV to make sure that they are getting the treatment that they need. In addition, the CDC report noted that people who have compromised immune systems should consider receiving monkeypox treatments ahead of time even if they don't have severe disease to prevent that severe disease from coming on also there was a high instance of people experiencing homelessness in this cohort so the cdc finds an opportunity to work with homeless shelters to make sure people get the care they need and that's it
0: yeah yeah winner and that's our show our music is by the mysterious breakmaster cylinder annie reese is our producer Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Seller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting, Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.